The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burn out. Hi guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kinsey Elizabeth. And today's episode, I am so unbelievably excited, guys. My high school self is screaming. I loved 90210. I binge watched it probably sophomore year of high school. And I I just love the show. It's so good. If you guys need a good like binge-worthy show and you somehow haven't seen 90210, I would highly recommend. We have Anna Lynn McCord on the show. I adore her. I think she's so cool. We connected originally because we're both fans of Dr. Eamon. That's how I originally even found her. And I was like, wait a second. You like brain health? I love brain health. She has TED Talks. So if you guys are unaware, Anna Lynn was Naomi on 90210. And she has one of the most unique, craziest stories. She left home at 15. She obviously becomes an actress. She gets really involved in anti-sex trafficking. Um, She has DID. She's really into brain health. We talk a lot about cancel culture. Honestly, this interview goes everywhere. I love her. I adore her. I could talk to her for eight hours. She's just so interesting. And I really like people who are multifaceted. And she is definitely one of those. She also recently launched a podcast with Dear Media, which is so funny because I didn't even realize that till after we had booked this. So you guys should definitely go check out Unzipped. I think I'm actually going on the show very soon. Anyways, without further ado, I hope you guys are all feeling a little bit better than I'm currently feeling. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Be sure to stay tuned until the end for the listener call-in. I love you guys so much. And let's welcome Anna Lynn on to the show. I am so excited to be talking with you today. We have so many things in common, like different interests. I originally DM'd you, I think, after I saw your video with Dr. Eamon. I am literally, I think, his biggest fan. Like, I don't really fangirl in general, but when it comes to Dr. Eamon, I am obsessed with him. I'm obsessed with him. He's, first of all, he's a wonderful human. He's an absolutely wonderful human. So good to hear. He's so smart. And, And he's pioneering this. He's really trailblazing. That, which is crazy that, that it's 2021 and, and he, there's a doctor trailblazing, oh, we should look inside the brain before we diagnose the brain. I think that's so crazy, but I love that he is making such a point to infiltrate pop culture with, you know, treating Justin Bieber and being a doctor who literally, even though he obviously would have a demographic much older He is speaking the language of young people and it's resonating. And I really, really appreciate that aspect of what he's doing. I completely agree. He's doing such a good job with like millennials and Gen Z. It's actually really impressive. I love him. We're going to talk all about that. Let's go back to uh, your childhood because obviously I feel like most people probably know you from 90210. By the way, one of my favorite shows in high school. Like seriously, <laughs> it's a comfort show. Like I still will go back and watch it. Loved it so much. I have been doing my research on you. I watched the TED Talks. I'm just literally, I love what you're doing. And I also love how open you have been about like your own mental health. So we will get into that. I like keep getting ahead of myself. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Let's start with your childhood. Oh, my very fun childhood. (laughs) Super exciting. (laughs) So I grew up in Georgia in and around the Southeast of the United States and kind of moved quite a bit actually by the time I left home at 15 and moved to New York. 
but I was homeschooled. So I just kind of started ticking every box of out of the ordinary, slightly strange, like off, you know, out in left field or whatever the labels were going to be. They, they began early. I really didn't have a sense of myself or certainly not the outlook I have now on my childhood during it. I was just surviving it. And I think that that's something that people, you know, you hear one of two things. You hear like, oh, I had a really great childhood with really wonderful parents. And then you just hear terrible stories of how you were left alone at the water park for eight hours. And like, you know, someone forgot to feed you one night. Like, well, it sounds like it was terribly wonderful. Um, (laughs) So for me, I have a very solid sense of the fact that growing up the way I did for a child, was not fun. (laughs) As an adult, I, and as someone thankfully who has worked through a lot of mental health issues and is looking at them and coming at them head on, I see the magic. I see how everything that I went through, everything that I've survived, everything that my resilient child self endured has made me the woman that I am today. So talking about my childhood comes from different points. Am I telling you from my six-year-old self? She was pissed. <laughs> my 13-year-old self, double down on the pissed. <laughs> and then there are elements throughout my life where, you know, things happen and I was able to look back on what transpired in it from, a different, from different eyes. So I'll tell you what happened to me from the eyes of the adult. I had two very young parents who met and got married in 33 days. Nine months later, had a child. About two years after that, had another child. (laughs) About 15 months after that, had a third child. And we're all, we're both either in or around 25 years old with three toddlers. I can't fathom such a thing. (laughs) So that's my adult ability to bring some understanding to what was a very difficult dynamic growing up. And, And then on top of everything, I was dealing with this secret, this dark secret of being a child who has been victimized by sexual abuse for years systematically and disassociating. Obviously, I didn't have my memories come back until I was 31 years old. As you know, I've been working fighting sex trafficking of children for a decade. Nothing rang a bell because the mind is so beautiful. The brain is so beautiful. As Dr. Amen says, it's so beautiful. The way our brains protect us. And, and that's what it did. I, I went from being abused to becoming my own abuser. At no point was it safe for me to remember what happened to me, for me to heal, for me to transmute this horrible origin of my life and become something above it and better than it. I had to get to a place of safety first. That came when I got so drained from all of the stuff that I would sign myself up for and agree to and say yes to. And, and I was doing good stuff. So it was like, okay, I'm helping someone over here. I'm showing up for someone over there. And I couldn't convince myself that these things should be no's. There was no world where that should be a no. Of course it was a yes, but I was suffering. I was suffering because every yes meant no time for Anna, (laughs) no time for Anna Lynn. Right. And June of 2018, I had completed my last commitment outside of myself to every soul on the planet. I had stopped making commitments backlogged from like a year or so prior. And I was still, I still had, you know, commitments a year out. 
and I ceased making new ones <laughs> at a certain point. And by June of 2018, I had reached the point where I didn't have to show up for anybody. I wasn't getting on a plane to somewhere in some other world, some other country, whatever. And two months later, my memories came back. And the childhood that I could tell you about for 31 years became a childhood that was entirely different. And, and everything was about obscuring this dark past that haunted me in subconscious, unconscious ways, but never in my conscious mind. And this would be the time when you realized that this was DID, right? You didn't know you had this before. Correct. I did not know I had disassociative identity disorder until I was undergoing EMDR treatment, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So for anyone listening, what that means is our memories, not unlike our dreams, are connected to our eye movement. Internal imagery is connected to eye movement in that fashion. And EMDR detaches the movement of the eye from the memory. So it desensitizes that that connection, that neural connection. And what it essentially allows you to do is to be able to take your CEO brain and go back in time and look at something that was traumatic or stressful or overwhelming for the body and the brain to look at it in safe space with your doctor under care, what have you. So in this treatment, when my memories came back and then it progressively got more and more intense because more and more memories started coming and they were coming in the form of like convulsions. So I, it would look like I was having a seizure, but my body was reliving the physical acts that were being perpetrated onto me. So my body would literally thrust around. Uh, at one point I, I flung onto the ground and began clawing, screaming, mommy, mommy, mommy. So clearly, you know, being thrown into a time of, you know, very young, fragmented memories, not knowing where I was, not knowing where my mom was, not knowing where, you know, what was happening. And then all of the, the images would start to flood. So the period where this was happening very extensively was just my doctor and I just navigating the memories that were coming and they were coming so fast and so often because every word was a trigger. Every word was a trigger. It was just like, I would be fine. And then all of a sudden I'm just twitching. And I like my sister and I, well, my younger sister and I have very morbid senses of humor. And <laughs> she's like, okay, it's time to seize the day. I'm over there like seizing literally. Um, so we, you know, we, we found a way to bring light into what was a very dark period of my life. But several months into that, I started to get the sense of this very defined little self. And I was talking to my doctor and saying, well, when she saw this happen and when she felt this and I was like, and I kept apologizing. I was like, sorry, when, when I, at six years old, it didn't feel like me. And I kept explaining to my doctor, I'm like, I just can't say it's me. It's her memory. And she was like, just so you know, this is very common. There's a spectrum of disassociative identity disorder and you're pretty far down the rabbit hole. And it is very, very normal for people who have been through severe trauma, childhood sexual abuse, abuse in any capacity, especially early on to have DID at some, on some part of the spectrum. If you guys know me or you're a listener of the show, you know how passionate I am about therapy. I go weekly. I'm very open 
with my journey with mental health. I started therapy actually in fifth grade. So I have really been in it for quite some time and I currently go weekly. So it's something I'm really passionate about and something that's made a really big difference in my life, which is why I'm so excited to be partnering with BetterHelp on the show, because I think this is something you guys will really, really benefit from. So if you guys have something that is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I would definitely recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. And you can start communicating in just under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help, but it is professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapist matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. And you guys can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you guys to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash Kinsey. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their own mental health. Again, that is betterhelp.com slash Kenzie. Okay, let's get back to the show. I think it's so cool that you've been so open about this because after looking into it more and just like listening to podcasts and things where it's come up, it is so common, but it's not really something that I had even heard much about. And I like, this is right up like mental health. This is things that I listen to all the time. And this really isn't talked about. It is not talked about. And I appreciate you giving space for it. I appreciate all the platforms that are inviting me on to to speak about this. It's why I'm speaking so candidly and people are in my, in my orbit are like, what are you doing? This is terrible. You can't say these things. TMI, too much information. And, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you guys should know me by now. All I do is overshare. It's literally like my, my missing middle name is Annalyn Overshare McCord. But I, I do this because why the fuck not? (laughs) I'm sorry. Why the fuck not? Why are we sitting in silence still? This is, this is a theme that we're done with. Silence is so last year or last decade or last millennia. I'm not into that. Opening the conversation is love. Love unites. Fear separates and isolates. I lived in isolation of myself from myself for decades. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in what is the reason that I lived in that. And that is one word that has no, has no, 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 no invitation in my field. And that is shame. Shame is not invited in my space anymore. And it is because it is the single most immobilizing thing next to being dead (laughs) that you can possibly exist in. Shame is walking death. You are a dead person on the inside. You just can still move your limbs. So I don't have that anymore. I don't live in that. I don't 
express in that. And I am very outspoken about how much I don't like our cancel culture right now because it is shame oriented. It is all about shame. And I got slammed the other day on social media because of something my, my co-host in my podcast unzipped. She had posted a clip of me saying, you know, if we're constantly canceling everybody, we're never going to get an authentic moment from each other. And people just went, I, I'm really excited about your podcast, but I do not want to listen to this episode if y'all are talking about not liking cancel culture. And I was, I was like, you're missing the point for one. Yeah. And, and I understand that because there's a lot of misunderstanding going on in our world right now. But what is so lost when we're so quick to judge, when we're so quick to cancel, what's lost is what have you done that you could get canceled for? Yes. Yes. Because don't even try to tell me that your ass hasn't done some shit talking that was shady as shit. And if it was said out loud in a press situation, you get canceled too. So I'm glad you talk about that. That to me is the biggest thing to me is, okay, cancel cultures. I see your cancellation and I raised your redemption, but it takes very powerful, strong people to be capable of compassion and redemption. Weak cancel cultures for the weak. Same cultures for the weak, small minds. You, you got to have a really broad mind. You got to see a lot of shit to get to the place of compassion and redemption. And that thankfully after years of feeling weak, I'm out of space where I know how strong I am. And I'm so strong that I can walk into the room with the people that perpetrated all of the di different versions. And there is plenty of sexual misconduct that was used against me. I'm an actress, like you can imagine throughout my life, I could walk up to any of them and say, hi, what happened to you? Why are you hurting? Because there's no reason that you tried to hurt me if there was something, if there wasn't something going on with you. So what is it? Let's talk about it. Let's get beyond it. And that's the, that's the truth because every single one of us starts out as little tiny little ones, little perfect babies. My little, my beautiful little nephew turned one today. He's 12 months old. He's so, he's all love, all happy, big blue eyes, ah, ah, squeaking and trying to talk and can't and stumbling and walking like a little drunk man. And he's precious and we love it. And he's perfect. And every single person on this planet was one years old and perfect. And what did we do wrong? What did the system do to fail them? That's what I want to know. Everybody treats the symptoms. I'm not into that. I go to the root of the issue. That's why I'm talking about disassociative identity disorder. That's why I'm doing this work. That's why Dr. Amen is scanning my brain because I'm not interested in treating symptoms. The idea of trying to end all of these issues that we have, systemic racism, you're not going to end systemic racism by canceling people. It's not going to happen. It hasn't worked and it won't work. And history repeating itself has proven one thing that we don't learn. All we've learned from history is that we don't learn from history, right? The, the way that we're going to end ideas, because that's what they are, is to create better ideas. Okay, your idea is racism. Here's a better idea. Inclusion. It's kind of cool. It's super awesome. Let me show you how it works. Let me have a conversation with you. Let, let me not judge your racism. Let me say, okay, is it serving you? Is it helping you? Is it making you a better person? Do you feel happy when you're, when you're being a racist? Where's the disconnect? And how do we rectify it? How do we heal? How do we redeem? These are all things that make people really uncomfortable. So 
I'm talking about them, of course. (laughs) I love what you said about cancel culture. I couldn't agree more. I'm extremely against cancel culture. And I also think it's a really big missed opportunity. People, they talk about like accountability culture. And I think that's a much better approach because it also leaves room for like you to grow and educate yourself. And I say that all the time. Like it is so crazy how even people that I've known for 15 years since I was like 10 years less than that, like younger, right? Who are so like the first people to be on the internet and like annihilating someone that like I maybe know personally. And I'm like, that's so crazy because I actually knew you when you were 12 and I actually knew you when you were 15. And it's so weird that you said those things then and now you're going after this person. I think it's just this easy cop out, but I actually think it's really sad and it's not progressing anywhere. It's not helping us get to any sort of solutions because at the end of the day, if you're just going to throw some out, someone away rather than, you know, actually like help them almost in like a rehabilitation sense of like, there's like redemption there. There's education there. There's things that you are not your mistakes for the rest of your life. You're not unworthy because you messed up for the rest of your life. And I think obviously like this is, I'm talking like situationally, I'm not going to like cover every single thing. No, what you're saying is it's revolution versus evolution. We would yes. like to at some point evolve, I hope. So we have to stop revolving the door. It's about what do you want? What is your solution? Do you have a solution in mind? Do you have a, an aim to solve this? Or do you just want to talk shit? Because that's really all you're doing when you're just spinning these stories. Guys, we really need to talk about MeUndies. It is honestly my current obsession. I live in MeUndies. I have the Ubach bralette. I have other bralettes from them. I have the lounge pants. I have boy shorts. I essentially, that's pretty much all I wear when I'm home, especially when I'm getting ready. I feel very Gen Z, very TikTok, very cool girl. Um, and I'm loving it. So if you guys didn't know, Me Undies believes that comfort is about more than what's touching your skin. It's about feeling comfortable in your own skin. So that's why Me Undies not only uses sustainable, breathable, soft as heck fabric, but they also give you endless styles to choose from. It's total comfort inside and out. And they are not kidding, guys. My lounge pants, I make all of my friends feel them when they come over and we're getting ready together. And they are like, that is the softest thing I've ever felt. And obviously I know because I live in them, but I am obsessed with them. When I wear me undies, it feels like I'm just honestly like sitting on a cloud. Like I don't know how to describe it. They're so comfortable. They also make me feel really confident. And I just really feel comfortable in my own skin in me undies. I wear them 24 seven. It's cool because they offer classic colors to ridiculous prints. It's also you can fully express yourself in your own unique way, right? Their size range actually goes from extra small to 4XL. And you never have to leave your couch again with the MeUndies membership. It's a monthly subscription service that sends new pairs right to your door. Each month, you'll choose new undies, socks, or a bralette and pick the style and color or print that feels most you. Plus, you can enjoy discounted pricing, free shipping, and exclusive early access to new launches. Love your butt and get the membership. So MeUndies actually has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you can get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. So to get 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash I love you. That's MeUndies.com slash I love you. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. So how did you go from being 15, moving out to New York on your own, and being told you're not going to amount to anything to being who you are today and shame is not even a part. 
Well, unfortunately, there wasn't a quick train ride <laughs> from the one to the other. It was a culmination of pretty much everything you can imagine. Leaving home at 15, I thought I was, I mean, I, there's a song, there's a folk song that goes, I was so much older than I'm younger than that now. That really resonates with me. I was this like, if I met my 15 year old self now, she had it together. Like she was handling shit. I, I feel like I'm much more of a, like, I would like a nap. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> like I'm much more petulant um, and childlike now than I was when I was 15, but she had to be, she was navigating an adult world as a child. I grew graduated from homeschool. I went through, actually graduated with a 4.2 um, because I was a complete and utter nerd and that has not changed and that will never change. I love knowledge. I love to learn. My education was really important to me, but I also, I needed to leave. I needed to get out. And I, and I had this burning passion to be an actress. And a lot of people were like, what's your plan B? And I was very arrogant. And I was like, my plan B is that plan A is never going to fail. So suck it. Um, (laughs) and I love that arrogant little self that I was, but, um, she got me out. She got me to New York, Miami, New York drama school program that didn't allow anyone under 21 really. And I was like, convincing and like persuading the the teacher to let me just do just a week and you can tell me to leave and I'll never come back. I promise. I was like, that what I think I was like 16 or 17, 17. And it was really just, it was survival mode. I was in survival mode at all times. I was ever vigilant, uh, always looking over my shoulder, had reason to at multiple times. There were incidents that were a teenage girl should not be in New York on her own. And, and these things should not be happening. I was like stalked by a guy in mesh underpants and like chased through the seat. I mean, New Yorkers can be like super, super supportive. And then they can just totally not see you at all. And I was like in Starbucks, like ducking behind, you know, one of those shelves with the mugs on it. And I'm like, someone's chasing me help. And everyone's like, yeah, can I get an Americano, Paul? <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like this 16-year-old girl. And I end up like my way to get away from this guy who then came in the Starbucks. He like chased me off the subway train. And I was, I was taking trains and stuff. I didn't have a lot of money. And I will never forget, like I, I did this thing to avoid these situations. I would wait uh, until the doors were closing at my stop. And then I would be like, Oh shit. As if I'd forgotten my stop. And then I dive off of the train and like go through the door and I'm a small person. So I can fit through pretty easily. And then I would slide through the crack and then I would feel, you know, I would certainly know if someone was chasing me because sur- surely they didn't forget their stop too. And, uh, this guy, like, jumped up when I jumped up and slammed his arms through the door after me and like started took off running after me. I'm like, I like, you know, taking the stairs three at a time. I fly into the Starbucks because there's people and I think that'll be safe. And apparently no one cared. Um, so then I, he comes in one door. I'm like crouched. I like, you know, crab crawl all the way as far as I can until I'm going to be detected. And then I took off sprinting out a different door. I run down, I run zigzags of streets to avoid him. He's still following me, like 
crazy person. And then I literally, I turn down a street, I see a small store, I run in the store, I, I grab anything off of a shelf that, and I like run into the fitting room and lock myself in the fitting room. And of course the people are like, um, can we help you? I was like, I just want to try this dress on. Like, I don't even know what color the dress is, obviously. <laughs> it's like three sizes too big. You've oh, never yeah, seen yeah, it before. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then I like, uh, I'm in this dressing room with one dress for about 25 minutes, which is not sketchy at all. And then I, I come out and I'm like looking out the door, like, like, you know, is, is he there or whatever? And I, I wait and I see a bus is coming. Like it's a bus stop. And I wait for the bus to arrive. The last person to get on, I say, you know what? This is not my size. And then I run out the door and dive onto the closing door of the bus. So that I'm the last person getting on the bus. And I think at that point I had already lost him, but I was just couldn't be too sure. And I went all the way uptown to come all the way back downtown. It was like a whole thing. That's honestly really badass. Like it's horrible, but it's really badass. Like, Thanks, girl. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a little bit more awareness, I'd be like, hmm, something's probably happened to this child. You wouldn't be that clever. But as a result of what happened to me as a kid, I was obviously, I was like that. I was very vigilant. I expected the worst in people. Unfortunately, I expected the worst in good people too. And, and my, many of my relationships, there was a toll that was taken as a result of that, as you can imagine. But went through that. I started to get my life really kind of feeling like it was on track. I met someone, he was wonderful. He and I are close to this day. We ended up being together on and off for four years. He was who I thought was my first. He later would be, you know, very open with me. Once I told him my memories came back two decades later. And he, he said, I always wondered, he said, I always wondered what happened to you. And I didn't want you to ever feel any shame, but I knew you weren't a virgin and I didn't know because you thought you were. And I didn't, you know, know what to say or do. And I just couldn't. So he was with me when I was 18. I started having horrible nightmares, like nasty, visceral nightmares. And I'd wake up in hysterics and screaming. None of them made sense, but they were very gory and very messed up. And there were, you know, periods throughout my life where stuff was trying to come through. I laid, I then would move to California at 18, um, later that year, actually. And, uh, came out here, was going to just be here for a few months for pilot season. I have been here 15 years now. <laughs> it was a very good work move. But in the process of kind of just any coming of age story, I was discovering who I was while following this very big dream while having no one that I knew, or, you know, I moved out to LA and I knew my agent. <laughs> I slept on her couch for a week. Like I didn't know anyone. I didn't, you know, there was there were so many odds stacked against me. And if you don't believe in magic in the universe, then you're just a little naive because <laughs> there is a magic that you can't always see, but you can definitely feel. And there was so much magic in my story and there is so much magic in my story. And I, I'm aware of it now and I move towards it and into it. And it's this microcosm, the quantum world, just working in vibrations. I loved acting. I ate, slept and breathed acting. It was everything and all things. And I would, I would, you know, imagine myself, I would visualize myself. I would actually out loud receive my awards, accept my Oscars. <laughs> I mean, I was, 
I was living this life before I ever lived this life. And I, I willed it into reality. I turned the formless into form. What I didn't know was that quantum physics is starting to prove that this is a real thing. It was all consuming. And because it was all consuming, I never had to remember what happened to me. I never had to face my demons. I had something to focus on. When I made it on Nip Tuck and then 90210 and I was successful and everyone was, you know, clamoring and it was a whole thing. Suddenly I wasn't working so hard. <laughs> I was working hard. I was working 90 hours a week, but it wasn't to me. The striving was no longer there. I had offers coming to me. I had jobs. I had opportunity. I was successful now. And that's when everything went downhill. I want to talk about what you refer to as your young life crisis too. You said that you were just hurting people up the ladder. I feel like this is so common. I also just in general, being in my 20s, this is like my like most common topic of honestly any discussion, whether it's podcast or just with my friends, like the uncertainties of your 20s. But also I lived in LA for five years. It's like the hustle. It's so fast. It's not even the fastest city, but it's just... It is a city of striving for sure. And even when you've reached kind of what you want to reach, I don't know, especially when you're young. I moved out when I was 17. It's a different sort of beast, especially dealing with childhood things. Like I think so much of what you're saying is going to resonate with so many people. But I want you to go into what you describe as your young life crisis. Okay, so that was when I was being offered 902.0. And I knew from the time I was nine years old, that I wanted to be an actress. Just before that, I wanted to be an archaeologist. And that dream is still alive, I'll tell you. <laughs> but I settled on acting. And since nine years old, this was, this was it. I was going to be an actress. And then I became an actress. And there's a saying, <laughs> the only thing worse than wanting something is getting it. I never understood that, but it happened to me. And I wanted, wanted, wanted to be an actress, which meant that I had something to want and therefore to strive for, to go after, to focus on. Once I had it, all of a sudden, I realized that wherever I go, there I always am with all of my pain, with all of my past, with all my fears, with all my insecurities. There was no escaping that. Becoming an actress, being on red carpets, being loved one minute and hated the next. I was not escaping the one person that was always with me, which was me. And I knew what I wanted from nine years old. I knew what it was that I wanted. I never knew why. And that is when I had my young life crisis (laughs) because the why is the most important thing you will ever discover. The why is the only thing that matters. Why is the question we should ask to every moment of every single thing at all times, always in all ways. Why, 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 why? When you why the fuck out of something, you will unravel it to the root and you will get to the source and you will have a real understanding of what's going on. So I why the fuck out of things. <laughs> and before I got all the way down to the, to the nitty gritty, I just decided that I didn't want to be an actress anymore. I was finishing Nip Tuck. I was working on a film called Fired Up for Sony and I was being offered 90210 and there was a film that I wanted to do and it was about human trafficking and it was an incredible script it was so amazing it was so well written these two South American 
directors were going to work on it uh, together. And we had had several meetings and it was in the middle of rewrites and the 2008 writer's strike happened, which was a thing in my industry that shuts our industry down because obviously we were negotiating contracts. And so the film got put on the shelf because it was in the middle of rewrites and could no longer be continue to be rewritten and all the money pulled out. And I was doing this cheerleader film and being treated like crap. <laughs> the girls on the film uh, who were playing the cheering team, the, the, the nice girls were so unkind and apparently didn't realize that they were acting or whatever. They, I show up, um, I'm filming Nip Tuck. So I showed up a couple days late to cheer practice. And again, I was never, I never went to high school. I never went to normal school. So I don't know mean girls situations. Like I don't understand any of that. I show up and I go to shake the hand of the lead opposite me, who's the good girl. And she's like on her sidekick, which was a thing back then. And she's all I like, remember those. you remember sidekick? Like, I wanted one so bad. Oh my God. Paris Hilton made them so hot. Yeah. So <laughs> I went and reached out my hand to shake her hand, introduce myself. And she like looks up from her sidekick and she's like, and I'm like, my hand is still there and it's going to get shaken, lady. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting until you shake my hand like a normal person. And finally, she's like, oh, hi. And shakes my hand, like all like limp. And I was like, okay, but I kind of wrote it off. Like, whatever, you know, maybe she's having an off day. We all have those. So then I went over to where my squad was, the, the, my cheer squad, who's my team on the film. And I was like, is there something going on? that I'm missing They're basically the other squad, the nice girls wouldn't speak to any of my squad. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? This is so strange. This is a movie. It's called acting. Hello. It's not real, but it was like that. The whole project was like that. It was just shady, petty pettiness. And I was, I was working on nip tuck with adult humans who go home and have dinner with their family after work. So I really didn't understand what was going on. And I just felt like this is not what I signed up for. I did not sign up for whatever this is. And all of them, of course, are probably at, you know, my age now. And they're probably like, God, I was such a brat, <laughs> you know, but, but at that moment, I was having an existential crisis. And I was like, no, I don't want to be an actress anymore. I got offered nine or two and while on the set of fired up. And, and I said, no, I, I, I just like, no way. There's no way I'm going to do another show. That's like these, this age group of like shady, <laughs> petty, like, uh, unhappy with yourself humans like I've got enough to deal with myself and my agent calls me and she's like they're offering you more money and I was like do they not understand what no means I said no I don't want to do it I'm not doing it no and I learned some lovely negotiation skills <laughs> say no always say no but I called my acting partner from back at back in New York, who's still, she's my wifey now. Um, we call each other wifey. So Jess is like this brilliant, amazing woman. She was Miss Florida State. Like she's, her whole life has been in service of other people. And she has constantly put herself on the line. Talk about someone with a life story. Like she has an organization called I'll Go First. And it's all about telling your story and going first and taking shame out of the room in order to discuss these difficult topics. And I mean, she, 
she's been through it. <laughs> so I called her and I was like, I'm moving back to New York. I don't want to be an actress anymore. I'm going to work at Starbucks and find a new passion. This is stupid. And she's like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I am. She's like, mm, no. <laughs> she said, you have such an incredible platform. Are you crazy? Like, no, like, come on. Was in not so many words. She's much, she's much more delicate than I am. So she gets to the bottom of it for, with me. And she basically educates me on this issue of human trafficking. And she's the one that I would end up going to Cambodia with for the first time and learning about this issue and becoming insanely passionate about fighting it. And that was the turning point for me was suddenly I had a why. I had a why these little girls in Cambodia who were survivors of human trafficking and who embraced me and all the, the unlovableness of me that I believed I was so unworthy of love and so, you know, incapable of seeing myself in any true light. They could see me and they loved me and I didn't know why and I didn't understand it. And I would do anything in the world for them then, now, and everywhere in between. But she brought that into my life and it flipped everything for me. So now I had to keep working. I had to do 90210 and, and do all these things that I was going to do because was, as I elevated, so did this, this project and this platform and this ability to support this cause that no one was talking about. And, and it gave me a sense of purpose. Of course, <laughs> I'm still not healed. So I'm unhealed trying to heal. And that's never a good thing. So I threw myself into that. And there was a lot of self-projection. And <laughs> as you can imagine, and it would take me several years of getting to a place of finally, you know, going on an inward journey at 25, starting to learn about meditation and mindful practice and starting to realize, oh, I've got a shadow and she's a nasty little bitch. <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> how you doing, girl? What's up? You like clawing people's faces off. What's going on? <laughs> and I had to, you know, start to come to terms with the fact that I had caused a lot of, I caused a lot of pain. And why was I doing that? And someone who doesn't like to treat the symptoms like me wants to go to the root of the cause. I had to acknowledge that I must have been in pain. To admit pain for me was a weakness I could not afford telling anyone, certainly not myself. So that was a hard admission for me that I was, that I was hurting. And, and it would take years for me to, to unlock that and, and really unravel it. And then when I thought I was doing so good, I was like, you know, I'm just having a little PTSD, which is like so fine because I'm just, I'm sorry, whenever I do this version of myself, it's actually Alexis from Schitt's Creek. So I immediately go into the wrist snap and I'm like, anyway, um, yeah, so that part of my life was perfect. And I was just going to go do some EMDR PTSD treatment, deal with my post-traumatic stress give it take five, six weeks tops and I'll be good. Right. Yeah. I'm just going to clear this up out of the way. And then three sessions in all of my childhood memories come back and I'm like, Oh wow. So I'm really not done healing. <laughs> this is so shitty. How long do you have to heal? It's been so long. And that's the part that people don't tell you is this healing journey. First of all, it's a lifelong journey and it is terrible. It is so not fun but it's so worth it. And I am a different human. If you had met me, you know, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you would not recognize me as who I am now. The, the light is fully here 
and there was a lot of shading <laughs> over the light for a long time. Wow, you are incredible. Everything that you said today, I'm like, yes, 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 and yes. Um, I'm literally gonna have to have you come back on so we can talk about all the like wellness stuff as well. Like I need to hear about like the cold exposure stuff. We need to talk more about Dr. Amen. I mean, we just have so much to say. I don't want to keep you here forever. So let's talk a little bit about, well, one, the love storm, incredibly important. And then also your new podcast. Yes. Okay. So the love storm was launched last January before COVID decided to shut our world down. We launched a global world tour, which will happen once the world is open again. But the point of the love storm is a campaign to talk about, educate, and bring together organizations that are fighting modern day slavery, but doing it from the standpoint of fighting slavery from the inside out. So how do we take personal stake in this fight? What I've learned in 13 years, almost 14 years of working with philanthropic causes, people get involved because it matters to them. I got involved with this because little did I know these stories were very close to me and, and what happened to me. So the, the point for this is to join 7.8 billion people in this conversation that we're all enslaved and we all can find a way out of slavery. But every single one of us at some point will have an invisible chain on our mind that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not whatever enough. And it will diminish who we truly are. And the, the idea of the love storm is to bring you in, educate you on the physical, tangible issue of modern day slavery. If you get involved, yay, woohoo, that's amazing. If you only break the invisible chains inside your own self, I'm cool with that too, because that plays a role in healing the one to heal the all. So I found this storm inside me. I was able to turn that storm into love. My storm didn't lose ferocity. It just transmuted and it became an alchemical process of, of something much more powerful. And that's love from the place of pain. And we use a loving kindness meditation uh, that we do as a featured element of the event. And they get, we, we call, we say, it's, it feels like love and it sounds like a storm because we do it out loud and we get really loud and powerful with it. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a really educational event. And that is like my whole life now. It's, it's that all day, every day. And then unzipped. <laughs> oh, so you have to come on unzipped. Unzipped. I can't is, wait. Yes. Yeah. You'll love Sinead too. Um, we're such a dichotomy. We're so, she's rock and roll pop culture. I'm like meditation shamans and gurus. <laughs> and we're like, how do we meet in the middle? But we just want you to come and real talk with us. We don't care what you're talking about. We don't care how it goes down. We want to talk about things that are uncomfortable. We want to talk about all different sides of the issues. We want to be lovingly confrontational, go against taboos, uh, go against societal norms, question society and culture and, and these conversations that thankfully are being had now. We want to deepen and, and more thoroughly engage those topics in order to educate and also just have some fucking like dinner talk, you know, like dinner table talk. Like you are at a cool dinner eat event and you end up in a conversation with a wild crazy person and they tell you some wild story that's what we that's what we want unzip to be about 
Amazing. I love that. I am so excited. Um, where can they find you on Instagram? So I am at the Anna Lynn McCord on Instagram and it's at unzipped pod. If you want to check out the podcast. Perfect. Thank you for coming on. Yes. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Anna Lynn. I am absolutely obsessed with her. I adore her. I think she's the coolest person ever, but let's get in to our listener call in segment. How do we feel about the name TTYL? I feel like we need a cute little jingle. Maybe we'll get on that. Trying to come up with some names. Uh, names are not my strong suit, okay? Hi, Kenzie. I just quit my job and I was wondering, do you have any advice for going forward in uncertain times and dealing with not job loss, but something kind of like that? So if there is one thing that I think I've been struggling with in probably the past, I want to say three months specifically, probably six months, probably a little bit longer than that, if I'm being honest, is the topic of uncertainty. And that is honestly like your 20s summed up in one word would probably be uncertain. And it's not something that I really love, but I'm trying to grow in a lot. I've read a bunch of books um, because that's how I deal with any problem is I read books because I feel like if I gain knowledge on a topic, then I almost have more control, I think. I would definitely recommend reading The Defining Decade. That book was really, really helpful for me. And it also made me feel less alone with just feeling uncertain in life. And I think it's important to note that even if someone looks super put together and like they have everything together, that isn't always the case. And there's always a level of uncertainty regardless. There's a few things that I've done. Um, The first thing was I tried to really shift my perspective on uncertain times from something that I was fearful of to something that I was excited about. And this is not where I naturally go with that. Obviously, I typically like being in control. I like knowing what's happening. But there is something about it that's exciting and you never know what's going to happen. I also really look back at like maybe other markers in my life, things that I never would have seen coming or something I didn't even know I wanted that happened. And just having faith that that will be, that that's going to happen again. Like what's meant for me will find me. Honestly, I think hobbies and having different interests is something to really dive into as well, especially at a time like this. I have so many random interests that I am so like kind of obsessed with. I don't even know why like neuroscience, like that's the most random thing for me, but I love it. The last thing that I will leave you with, which I actually feel like has been the biggest game changer with dealing with uncertainty. And I'm speaking like specifically to your 20s and in postgrad is I am really working on learning to live in the present. And I don't feel like I've actually ever done that. I've always been really career oriented, really hardworking, really excited about the future. And I feel like I, I missed out when I lost out on a lot of things that, you know, maybe I was physically present for, but I wasn't mentally fully there. And so now I'm really trying to just enjoy my life where I'm at and being present, like in the present moment. And that combats a lot of my anxiety about the future a lot of my fear about the future and a lot of any negative emotions that I have about uncertainty. So I hope that was helpful. Um, That's kind of what I've been doing personally. I think a lot of it is shifting your perspective. It's like, congrats on quitting your job. Um, You're one step closer to where you need to be. So I wish you the best. I hope that everything works out for you. I know it will. But yeah, anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I love you guys so much. Be sure to Follow us on Instagram, join the Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast, um, leave a nice rating and review. I really love it when you guys like take the time to do that. I really appreciate it. Anyways, I love you guys so much and I will talk to you next Thursday.